How wide is the scope of IP protection for a hit song, and where is the line between paying tribute to a beloved band and appropriating goodwill to sell unrelated products? Welcome to Lawson Insight. I'm Mark Fancourt Smith, a litigation partner located in Lawson Lundell's Vancouver office. And I'm Alexandra Stoichev, a litigation associate located in our Calgary office. Thank you for joining us on Lawson Insight, brought to you by Lawson Lundell LLP. This episode is going to be another departure from our usual format, and Mark and I are going to talk about an interesting case that is just getting underway involving... Beer. And the tragically hip. Very Canadian. Yes. As we said the last time we did a very special episode, one of the joys of hosting a podcast is that you can commandeer it to talk about things that interest you. And this topic was actually one that our producer, Christian, uh, had alerted us to when the lawsuit was first filed. So thank you, Christian. Um, And given that this episode will go up around the May long weekend, we thought that uh, beer and the tragically hit might not actually be the worst things uh, to discuss. So what we're going to talk about today is the lawsuit that's been filed in federal court by the Tragically Hip against Mill Street Brewing, which is now a subsidiary of the multinational InBev, arising from Mill Street Brewing's naming its organic amber lager, 100th Meridian Lager, uh, as well as the way in which they've marketed it and specifically associating it with the Tragically Hip. There was some commentary in the media around the time that the lawsuit was filed based on the statement of claim, but since then we now have Mill Street's statement of defense, as well as the Tragically Hip's reply to that defense, which raise uh, some really interesting trademark issues, competition law issues, uh, and issues as to anticipated evidence. And I should stop here to say uh, our discussion of this is just based on the pleadings. Um, No evidence has yet been induced. uh, Nothing uh, has been proven or disproven. And so our discussion of this is really just our take on some of the interesting issues that are identified in the pleadings themselves. So, Mark, uh, the lawsuit claims that in using the name 100th Meridian Amber Ale and in marketing it the way that it has, Mill Street is allegedly liable for passing off for copyright infringement and for breach of the Competition Act. And essentially, the crux of the case is that it's saying that there is it that Mill Street has created a false association between the beer and the tragically hip. So let's talk first about how it has been associated and in particular, the way in which the beer has been promoted, which seems to have driven this lawsuit in terms of social media strategy um, and other advertising. Yeah. In, and again, based on what's been cited in the pleadings, the examples, it seems pretty clear that Mill Street wanted to and did capitalize on the Tragically Hip's popularity in promoting this beer, um, particularly in 2016 during the Tragically Hip's final tour, which, of course, was a very emotional one given Gord Downey's diagnosis with terminal brain cancer. So around that time, you see posts on Twitter, uh, predominantly many of which are cited in the proceeding, uh, in the pleadings rather, where Mill Street says things like, get your 100th Meridian on when they tragically hit play Young and Dundas tonight with, you know, with a picture of the beer, or uh, Mill Street's brew pub will be showing the hip show in St. John's tonight live on all screens, and $5 pints of 100th Meridian Amber Ale, and so on. Or on the day of the final concert, um, Mill Street reposted a picture taken by somebody else, of a can of 100th Meridian Ale in front of a collection of tragically hip albums. So things like that. So to hear the plaintiff say it, there's little doubt, if any, that Mill Street was referencing the tragically hip using their popularity to promote its beer. And they say, unlawfully, insofar it has confused people into thinking that there was an association between the beer and the tragically hip when there wasn't. And so... 
Um, that gets into the next part, which is that the trademark angle of this case is interesting. The Tragically Hip in their uh, statement of claims say that not only is uh, their registered trademark or are their registered trademarks being infringed, but their song title at the 100th Meridian is the subject of passing off. Um, so Mark, what is passing off and, and what are they saying in relation to this alleged trademark infringement? Yeah, I guess as, as a first point, you don't need a registered trademark to have rights in a name or a trade name. You can earn one uh, through use and reputation. There's innumerable examples of people who have not taken the step of registering their business name as a trademark. But nonetheless, the fact that they've used it, used it in the market, developed a reputation in in their name, in their goods within a certain geographic area means that they get rights in that name and they have protection such that someone else cannot come along and start using it or one that's likely to cause confusion. And so when someone does that, that's called passing off. And what's been alleged here by the Tragically Hip is that their song title at the 100th Meridian has now taken on a role as an unregistered mark, such that naming the beer 100th Meridian Amber Ale uh, is likely to cause confusion. Now, um, it's interesting because the, the origins of trademark law, including passing off, was all based in consumer protection. It's about... Uh, knowing that something was in fact made by someone so that you could rely on it. You could take the medicine knowing that it's been made by an official manufacturer, so on and so forth. But of course, with the rise of the importance of brands themselves, uh, new avenues of protection are often being sought. You know, the classic example from a number of years ago was Lego's patent rights in the Lego blocks were running out. And so they sought to actually get trademark protection for the shape of the blocks to prevent uh, rivals like Megablocks and so on from uh, entering the market. So it's always interesting to see how trademark law and passing off is evolving. So there's two avenues of passing off. One is that you think something is something else. So you buy a product because you were confused and you thought it was a different product or the genuine article when it wasn't. The other way is that um, is that a false association has been created such that you think that a certain product is affiliated with or endorsed by or approved of um, by an entity when it isn't. However, even in those cases, it's you have to have a mark or a name that is the subject of the confusion. And so that's why you see in the pleadings, um, in the in the statement of claim, that the Tragically Hip alleged that since the song was released, they have used the, the mark at the 100th Meridian to sell products in Canada. But the examples they give, interestingly, are downloadable music files, downloadable ringtones, uh, musical products, including a single, an album, a remastered album, a compilation album, and so on and so forth. So what the Tragically Hip have alleged is by the promotion and the continual use of it in Canada, the song title at the 100th Meridian is now actually distinctive uh, of their goods. Right. And I see what they're saying with that. But then, you know, the the lawyer in me is always thinking about the other side of this. And part of me thinks, okay, so the song is popular, but does the title actually function as a trademark? And that's the key question on, on this particular point. It's one that the defense has zeroed in on. It's it's a song title. And can a song title in and of itself function as a trademark as well? And going back to that aspect of the claim, yes, they've claimed that it has been used to sell songs. Well, yes, but to sell the song at the 100th Meridian or to sell videos. Yes, the video of at the 100th Meridian. So it's um, it, it, this, I think, will be one of the most interesting aspects of the case, which is to say it is an incredibly well-known song. It's a beloved song with a lot of goodwill attached to it. But 
does it also function as signifying the origin of goods or can it be extended to that extent? So it'll be really interesting to see how this this particular part plays out, at least for the, the IP lawyer and me. Right, because they've used it to, uh, you know, sell songs and music videos and things like that that you're talking about, but they haven't necessarily specifically used it for something like selling beer, the hip, I mean. No, and that raises another point. There are actually instances where the Tragically Hip's name has been used by unaffiliated companies. Like there was a beer called Tragically Hopped, double IPA, um, which I, I'm not aware of. You know, whether there was a dispute, I mean, there's always it could have been something in the in the uh, you know that that was just not in the public eye. Resolved that. Who knows? Um, and the Tragically Hip do have a licensing agreement with with an Ontario winery, so I think there is fully completely Chardonnay and um, you know, Flamenco Rosé and, and I, I can't remain, remember the name of the, of the Cabernet at the moment. So they are actually licensing their name in, in the field of you know, alcoholic beverages, but um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out to see has this song title actually been used in association with goods other than the song. Right. And then we've talked a lot so far about the HIPS approach to this, but one of the defenses that Mill Street has pleaded is that they had other reasons to call uh, the beer what they did. They say that it's a reference to where they source the grain and the barley for the beer, um, and that it's meant to be a tribute to farmers. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's always a couple of ways, well, there's a number of ways to plead defenses, one of which is to take a purely technical approach. And, and there's you know, a number of technical defenses, you know, which are important. I mean, IP is a very technical area. Um, but they have also put forward the explanation positively to say, we had other reasons for calling it Hunt of Meridian Ale. It is in reference to where we source the materials. It is in tribute to the farmers and, and other people who do it, which you know, is an interesting uh, allegation. I mean, on the one hand, they didn't call it farmer beer. Um, they called it at the 100th Meridian. So <laughs> this will be one where it'll be interesting to see how the evidence plays out. Because, of course, you know, on, assuming this goes to discovery, um, what were the discussions that were being had at the time this name was thought up? Did they reference the farmers or did it reference the tragically hip or, or what? I mean, we, we have no idea at the moment. Again, this is just at the pleading stage. Um, but that will be an interesting one to see how that particular defense plays out. Right. Yeah. Like I, as I was going through the pleadings, I was thinking, oh, this would be a very interesting discovery to be a fly on the wall in that room. Mm-hmm. Um, it will certainly, I'm sure, bring up some, some interesting um, backstory uh, on both parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me about the competition law aspect to this. The allegation is that Mill Street has breached the Competition Act uh, by misleading the public. And, and tell us a bit more about w- what that allegation involves. Yeah, this is a, another interesting aspect. Of course, most of the Competition Act um, creates offenses that are can only be prosecuted by the government, by the Competition Bureau. But the misleading advertising one is that private parties can bring as against each other. What that requires under the relevant section is that there has to be a representation uh, that is false or misleading in a material aspect or material respect and one that's likely to confuse the public. Now, traditionally, when you think about it, that that, uh, representation rather is a claim. I mean, there's a a classic series of of cases in BC um, between the cell phone providers saying, we have the fastest cell network. Okay, well, and the other one saying either no, you don't or that's based on testing which is out of date or it was a different technology at the time and so on. So a a concrete representation which is falsifiable. So here it'll be interesting to see how it's played out in terms of what they say the actual representation is. Um, Do these ads associating 
the beer with the tragically hip, whether, you know, in front of their albums or by reference to their final tour, do those constitute representations which would be, you know, understood under the act uh, as being misleading and actually making a representation that could be then held up and said, is this true or is this false? On that topic of misleading, who has to be confused and, and how would you show something like that? Yeah, that's always a, a key question in these cases. Now, the, the band has said through their counsel when, when they were interviewed, actually, in, in respect of, of this case, that you know this was done being done to prevent the, the fans from being misled, uh, and it was to protect the fans. And this case has certainly been pleaded in a way that is, that is sort of digestible to the public. But the person who matters for the... You know, for confusion is sort of a, what the, the courts call a, a mythical creature or a mythical creation of a consumer who is neither extremely knowledgeable about the products in question nor what's sometimes referred to in the case law as a moron in a hurry. Uh, and so they have created this, you know, the, the, this hypothetical, you know, reasonable, reasonably informed consumer who the court then has to look at the representation in question or also, you know, the from a trademark angle, the name in question or the impression in question to decide, would this hypothetical person be confused? Um, and as for actual confusion, I mean, that's usually done uh, with survey evidence. Um, uh, there's uh, you know, a, a few people who are, who are quite well known as, as doing these surveys uh, for cases like this to establish, is there actual confusion? Though um, certainly in the trademark side and even in the competition side, actual confusion is not always required. It's, is it likely? Is it uh, reasonably likely to cause confusion. But certainly, again, uh, the pleadings, and including the reply, they do plead a lot of evidence uh, as well as the material facts. And so in the reply that's been filed, uh, a number of examples are given where people were purportedly confused whether when buying the product they thought it was affiliated with the hip or they bought it because they thought it was affiliated with the tragically hip. Yeah, and one of the things that struck me when I was going through the pleadings was the question of why now? I mean, there's a lot of references to what happened in 2016 in the pleadings, but it did leave me wondering why this lawsuit is being brought in 2020 or 2021. Um, and I, do you have any insight into the timing of this? I don't. It was something which occurred to me as well. And, and I know that uh, in some of the statements made around when the statement of claim was filed, there was statements from counsel for the Tragically Hip that this was unfortunate, that it had come to this, that efforts had been made to work this out with Mill Street, and usually in similar cases they had been able to, but were not in this case. But certainly in, in the reply that was just filed at the end of March, um, the tragically him have claimed that they did not become aware and could not reasonably have become aware of this, of, of um, the passing off of the, uh, of the you know, alleged actions until 2020, um, which is interesting given that what they're complaining about was on social media. And it was on social media, sometimes using a hashtag of the tragically hip, whether by Mill Street itself or a lot of what the tragically hip have pointed to was the reactions of people on Twitter to the posts. And a lot of them were tagging the tragically hip and so on in that respect. So again, this will be another one where it will be interesting to see how it plays out if the lawsuit does indeed go forward on uh, on the discoverability. Were they aware? Should they have been aware uh, and what were the circumstances under which they were not aware, notwithstanding this was on social media, using their band's name in, in hashtags. 
Yeah. So, Mark, uh, you're wearing a few hats in this. You're a Tragically Hip fan, I think. You're a beer fan, I think. Uh, and I <laughs> I do know uh, you're an intellectual property law lawyer. Um, so what's your ultimate takeaway from all this? Thank you for not adding the I think to uh, you're an intellectual property lawyer. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, as I said, from the trademark aspect or the, 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 the passing off aspect, it'll be really interesting to see how it develops in terms of how wide a protection can you have for a song title when that song is known, beloved, one of your best ones? Uh, how does that extend into trademark protection and how? And you know, secondly, it will be interesting from evidentiary standpoints to, to see how Mill Street's defense as to the origin of the name plan plays out, how the discoverability uh, defense plays out to, to the claim that all these uh, claims are time barred because they're past the limitation period's um, and one aspect which I'm sure we will never really see, uh, as I expect it was all without prejudice, was it would be interesting to see what were the discussions uh, that did not work. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, Mark, for uh, chatting about this today. Um, hopefully once the pandemic is over and it's safe to be getting together for a beer, we can do so on a patio and maybe blast some uh, Tragically Hip while we're doing it. So um, Here's hoping. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks very much for coming on today. Thanks for indulging me. For more information, please visit our website at LawsonLandell.com. You can also stay up to date by connecting with us on Twitter using the handle at LawsonLandell and by subscribing to the podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcasts. Thanks very much for listening.